As always, thank you for being here, for participating, if you're watching online, for taking time out of your busy week, your busy day to, to be part of a Bible study and to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. You, your presence, your participation is incredibly encouraging. And I know I tell you that every week, but it's true. You encourage me and you encourage everyone else by being present and by participating. And we hope that this lesson tonight is an encouragement to us all to do, to do this, to resist, to resist the lies and to walk in the truth. Uh, Anybody else ever have a paper route when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not very many of us, but we're few and few in the proud uh, paper boys and girls. Uh, but when I was a, when I was a kid, I had a paper route for years, and uh, I I did the same route for a, for. A, very long time, and I was thinking back to that, and I was thinking that when I first started my paper route, I had a list, like, I don't know how many pieces of paper stapled together, addresses on them, and I would, I would have to go down the list and make sure that every, every house got a newspaper, and I'd cross it off the list and figure out which streets were which and which houses were which, and go street by street, house by house, and make sure that, that none of them were missed, but over time, I eventually got to the point, of course, where I didn't need my list, and I didn't even know where the list was anymore. I just knew the houses that were supposed to get newspapers and the ones that were not supposed to get newspapers. But then it inevitably happened that I got so comfortable with the paper route, I got so used to it, that I would get a block, maybe two or three blocks down the road, and I would think, huh, that one house... Did I, did I give them a paper? I don't remember giving them a paper. I don't even remember seeing that house. I, I don't think I gave them a paper. And so I would turn around and I'd ride back to the house and almost every time there was a paper on the porch. I don't remember being there. I don't remember doing it. And that kind of thing happens all the time, doesn't it? In fact, tonight, I almost went back up to my house to make sure that I locked my front door because I'm, I don't remember locking my front door, but I'm pretty sure that I probably did. Why? Because I just do it without thinking about it. I don't have to make a conscious decision to do it or not to do it. I don't even think about it. And there are so many things in your life that, that happen that way, right? There, there are a lot of things that you did today, you don't even remember doing them because you did it by memory. You did it because you're just so used to doing it because you've done it a million times before. There may have been a time where you had to really think about it doing it, you had to concentrate on doing it. It was a very conscious decision, but over time, we call it muscle memory, and there's all kinds of science behind it. You can talk to Tom later about neuroscience. I'm sure he'll fill us in on, on that, but I, I don't want to get in over my head, but there's all kinds of interesting brain science around why that kind of thing happens and neural pathways and whatever, but we all have experienced that, haven't we? Where we've done something so many times that when we started doing it, we had to be very intentional about it. We made decisions about it, but over time, it got to the point where we, we didn't even think about it. It was almost like we weren't even choosing to do it. It was just that our body was going through the motions because we've trained it to act in a certain way. And that can be a really good thing 
And in fact, it, it's amazing how our, our brain works like that, isn't it? It's amazing how we can develop really good habits and practices and we can train ourselves to do really good things. But it also works negatively too, doesn't it? And we said, we said a phrase a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember? We said, you are what you repeat. You are what you repeat. You are what you repeatedly do. You are the, the words you repeatedly say. You become the words you repeatedly say. You become the thoughts you repeatedly think. You, re, you become the deeds you repeatedly do. That becomes your character and it becomes your life. So what you repeat is so incredibly important. The thoughts that you repeat are incredibly important. The words you repeat are incredibly important. The deeds that you repeat are incredibly important. Your practices, what you do with your hands, what you do with your feet, what you do with your whole self is incredibly important because over time, it becomes you. Over time, it shapes you and forms you into a certain kind of a person. And that's the thing about it, isn't it? Is that in the beginning, we're making very conscious decisions. We're making very conscious choices to do a certain thing. But then over time, it's almost like our choice in the matter begins to become diminished. Where we're doing it without even thinking about it. And again, when we apply that to good things, that, that can be incredibly positive. But when we apply it to sin, that can be terrifying, can't it? And we have all kinds of words for when that happens. But here's how, here's how Scripture puts it. If you have your Bible, we'll be in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. See how this idea that everything we repeat is forming and shaping us. Here's what Paul says, Galatians 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. And that's what we've been talking about through this series, isn't it? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't think that it works any other way. Don't think that you can, you can get around this. Don't think that this doesn't apply to you. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also, what? Reap. What you plant is what you will harvest. You, you will harvest what you plant. You can't, you, can't, you can't plant wheat and harvest corn, right? You can't plant corn and harvest wheat. Don't be deceived into thinking, oh, I, I can plant this, I can sow this, and I'll reap something different. Don't be deceived. And, and we can be deceived into that, can't we? Into thinking that, oh, I, I, can, I can do this. I can do just a little bit of this. I can do just a little bit of that. And it won't really affect me. It really won't impact me. I can do a little bit of this. And it's really not going to do any harm. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that is what you will reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap what? Corruption. We'll come back to that. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
And this, this idea of the flesh is, is an idea we keep coming back to. We've, we've said that our soul, our being, our existence has three enemies according to scripture. Satan, the flesh, and the world. Satan, the flesh, and the world. The devil, the flesh, and the world. And that's, that's what we're doing battle against. That's what we're, we're resisting. And, and Paul says that if you sow to the flesh... And the flesh is that, that aspect of us that is, is lazy, that desires what is easy, that desires what is disordered, that desires what is not good. That, that part of us, that, that aspect of us that has an appetite for things that are not right and good, and if you sow to that, if you plant those kinds of seeds, and how do we do that? By thinking fleshly thoughts, by saying fleshly words, by doing fleshly deeds, by giving into these appetites and desires, then you will reap corruption. Now think about what, what are some of these these fleshly thoughts and these fleshly words and these fleshly deeds. Think back to what he says in Galatians 5. Things like sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity, being enemies with one another, strife, fighting with one another, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. All of these things. It's not an exhaustive list, but he's saying things like these. Whether it's, it's anger or it's lust, these kinds of, and it never starts big, does it? In fact, that's kind of the, the, the idea, the metaphor of farming and planting. I, I like the saying that you, you not only reap what you sow, you reap after you sow, and you reap more than you sow. It's the way farming works, isn't it? You plant a seed, and not only are you going to get what you planted, not only are you going to harvest what you planted, you're going to harvest after you've planted, after time, after time goes by, and you're going to harvest more than you planted. You're going you're to plant something really small, and it always starts out really small. It always starts out as just this, just this once. Or a little bit won't hurt. Or this is really necessary. I, I know this isn't really good, but it's necessary. And I got to do this. And I got to say this. And I got to think this. And these, these thoughts that we think, these words that we say, these deeds that we do, Paul says, don't, don't think that you can plant this kind of trash and not reap this kind of corruption. Now think about that word corruption. You will reap, you will harvest corruption. What does that mean? Well, corruption can mean like destruction, you be destroyed, and I think ultimately that's true. But, but corruption isn't just about in the finality. It's also right now. Another word for corruption is deterioration. Think about that for a second. When you sow to the flesh, you become corrupt. 
You become, you, you begin to deteriorate. You begin to break down. You become less of what you're supposed to be. This is what happens when we sow to the flesh, when we sow angry thoughts, when we sow angry words, when we do angry deeds, when we sow lustful thoughts. And sometimes it starts off really, really small. It seems really insignificant. But over time, over and over and over and over and over again, we reap deterioration. We reap ruin. We ruin ourselves. See, this is why God wants to set us free from sin and death, because he loves us. If you have children, or you have grandchildren, or you have nieces and nephews, if you have people in your life that you love, you don't want to see them corrupt themselves, do you? You don't want to see them ruin themselves. You don't want to see them deteriorate. And this is the way sin works. Sin works like this. One bad decision at a time. One bad decision at a time We become more and more corrupt until corruption is not only our character, but also our destiny. Think about that for a second. One bad decision at a time, and over time, we become more and more corrupt until corruption is both our character and our destiny. It's not just our destiny. Eternal life on the positive side, when you sow to the Spirit, and we'll talk more about this next week, when you sow to the Spirit, you reap from the Spirit what? Eternal life. Eternal life. And eternal life isn't just something that we get later on after we die. Eternal life is something that we have now. We have now. We have received now. We're receiving now. It's not just about quantity of life. It's also about quality of life. We have begun in the spirit to live that age-to-come life even now. Even now we can be eternal life recipients and we can live in eternal life. But I don't want to step on next week's lesson. The corruption begins now too, doesn't it? When we sow to the spirit, we become more and more corrupt until corruption is our character and our destiny. We are poisoning ourselves through sin. This is why every decision that we make, every decision that we make is so incredibly important. What am I going to think about? What am I going to think about? Remember what Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 8? Whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, think about these things. Why? Because when you do the opposite, when you focus on what is impure, when you focus on what is perverse, when you focus on what is bad and negative, when you focus on all of these corrupt things, you become corrupt. You are practicing corrupt thinking. You are practicing corrupt talking. You are practicing corrupt living. And then corruption becomes your character and corruption becomes your destiny. And over time, we start out where we're making very conscious decisions. Conscious decisions. I'm going to step on toes. I know, and I'm stepping on mine, just just FYI. But but what about sarcasm? You know that sarcasm comes from the Greek sarks. It's actually from the same word we translate as flesh. Sarcasm is about biting each other's flesh. (laughs) 
We're eating each other. That's what we're doing with those biting comments, aren't we? And, and when, you, when you first say something sarcastic and you know it's kind of biting and rude, it kind of it tugs at your heart, doesn't it? And you think, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I kind of feel guilty. I probably shouldn't have said that. But over time, sarcasm after sarcasm after sarcasm after sarcasm after sarcasm, before long, that's just how you talk, and you don't even realize that you're doing it. You're not making a conscious decision to be rude. You've just become a rude person. Over time, you start off consciously making a decision to be rude or unkind or unloving or angry or whatever, and you consciously decide to give in to that because it feels good sometimes to just vent that, doesn't it? And you just vent it. And it, and, it, and it, oh, it hurts, and I, I shouldn't have said that, and I, I saw the pain in their face, and I, I shouldn't have said that. But then you keep doing it, and you keep practicing it. And over time, you, you become an unkind person. Paul says, don't be deceived into thinking that you can plant one thing and harvest another. Now, the people to whom he's writing, I mean, he's dealing with all kinds of sowing to the flesh. Some of them are sowing to the flesh because they're, they're Judaizers or they've been influenced by Judaizers who are saying they have to be circumcised and that circumcision is how you become part of the family of God. But even that is, is fleshly. They're not talking about character transformation. They're talking about the transformation of their body, their flesh, cutting a piece of their flesh off. Paul's like, that doesn't change anything. And that kind of thinking that doesn't deal with the character, not only is what they're saying not dealing with the character, they're actually sowing towards bad character. And it's that, and it's, it's everything else. It's everything in this list. Sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and all of these things. I mean, in the book that we're reading, Live No Lies, <laughs> Comer says something along the lines of nobody, nobody wakes up one morning and says, you know what, I've got a, a happy marriage and my marriage is going great, but you know what, I think I'm going to commit adultery today. Nobody does a perverse joke, looking at something you shouldn't be looking at, sending a text you probably shouldn't send, flirting with somebody you shouldn't be flirting with, one thing after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. One bad decision at a time. We become more and more corrupt until corruption becomes our character and our destiny. And Paul is warning us about this. And every decision that we make, especially the things that we repeat the kinds of thoughts we repeat, the kinds of words we repeat, the kind of actions we repeat. Not only we dealt with it at length, not only do we need to make sure that they are true, repeat things that are true, we also need to repeat things that are spiritual, that come from the Spirit of God and not from the world, not from the flesh. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 17, Ephesians 4 and verse 17. This part of Ephesians is all about, all about living the, the new life, putting off the old life and embracing the new life. And he says this, verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the 
futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I mean, think about some of those words that I have highlighted there. Futility, vain, morally bankrupt minds. Minds that, that have become incapable of thinking about what is good and true. Darkened in their understanding. The hardness of heart. Isn't that something that scripture warns us about over and over and over and over again? About the hardness of our heart? That if we're not careful, our heart becomes hard? Again, this is the way that hearts become hard, is we make one bad decision at a time, and our hearts become more and more corrupt until that becomes our character and our destiny. Now, now Paul isn't just picking on the people out there. He's not just picking on the unbelieving world. He's saying, this is who we all were. This is, this is who we all were. And we were set free from that. So don't go back to living that way. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. He says, verse 19, they have become callous. Callous. That's a good word, isn't it? Callous. Think about calluses on your hands. Calluses that build up over time, right? And calluses are, are a good thing on your hand, right? Because after a while, it doesn't hurt so bad anymore. Once you do it and do it and do it, that's why I never learned to play the guitar. I tried a couple of times, but it hurt really bad, and I never wanted to wait around long enough for the calluses to form. That and I don't have any rhythm. That, that didn't help either. But, <laughs> but calluses are really helpful, aren't they? Because it makes it so that painful things don't hurt so bad anymore. But they're really bad when they form on your heart. Because sinful things should hurt you. Your sin should hurt. The sin you witness and see in the world should hurt you. Even, even historical sin should hurt you. We should weep anytime we see humans hurting humans. People hurting people. People acting in ways that, that devalue themselves and others, that corrupt themselves and others. This should hurt us. It should cause us to weep. But if we see it enough and we do it enough and we talk about it enough and we experience enough, we even entertain ourselves with it. We'll talk more about that later when we talk about the world. But we, we just do it and do it and do it. We practice it so that over time, calluses build up on our hearts and we don't feel pain anymore. I, I've, I've shared this with you before, but I had a counselor friend one time Either he, he had been counseling with or somebody he worked with had counseled with, with a man who was a serial killer and who had murdered many people. And he said the first person that he killed haunted him. And he could see that person's face in his, in his thoughts and as he killed, he didn't even remember. Because over time, it didn't hurt anymore. And that's, a, that's an extreme example but we've experienced that too. Again, you've experienced that with sarcasm probably, haven't you? With unkindness, with anger, with lust, 
And the first time you looked at that, or the first time you said that, or the first time you thought that, it really pricked your conscience. But you kept practicing it, and practicing it, and practicing it, and practicing it, and before long, it didn't hurt so bad anymore. That is exactly the problem. And Paul says, that's who we were, that's how we live, that's how the whole world lives. Don't go back to that. Because all you have to do to go back to that is just keep practicing those things. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality. This word, I was reading the definition of the Greek word, and it's, it's like surrendering someone to someone else's authority. Like you've captured someone and you turn them over. And Paul says that's, that's what they've done with themselves. That's what we've all done at one point or another. We've done with ourselves. We've said, well, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. Sensuality, do whatever you want. Whatever my senses say, whatever I feel like doing, that's what I'm going to do. And we've just captured ourselves and turned ourselves over to sensuality. And he says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You've lived that way. I've lived that way. The whole world has lived that way. Everyone has lived this way at one point or another. And Paul says, don't go back to this. This is who you were, not who you have to continue to be. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I promise next week we're going to come back to some of these, the positive side of these things. But we have to talk about this negative side, don't we? This corrupt through deceitful desires. And again, we've said this for several weeks now. Our desires are deceitful aren't they? They're deceitful. They, they promise one thing and they deliver another. They say, if you, if you eat this, if you drink this, if you smoke this, if you look at this, if you touch this, if you go there, if you do this, if you say this, then you'll be happy. And it doesn't work that way, does it? You chase it and you think, okay, if I just, I know I gotta, it, it hurts right now, but if I just push through and I grab a hold of this thing and it just kind of turns to dust in your hand, doesn't it? It turns to gravel in your mouth. It doesn't feel as good as you thought it would feel. It doesn't deliver what you thought it would deliver. And not only, not only does it not deliver what you thought that it would deliver, it's worse than that. It's worse that, that it, than it just under-delivers. It's more than just that it under-delivers. It's that actually it's poisoning you. They, we have become corrupt through deceitful desires. We have become corrupt through deceitful desires. Our former manner of life is corrupt, corrupted, disintegrating, because of deceitful desires. It's like, not only does that, that piece of fruit, it all comes back to the tree, doesn't it? It all comes back to that idea. It, it looks good. I'm pretty sure it's going to taste good. It's going to make me like my own God. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to have all of this wisdom and knowledge that's been forbidden before, and life's going to be so much better. Not only is it not as good as you thought it would be, 
itself as you thought it would, but it poisons you. It poisons the, the, the soil of your heart. It poisons your heart and your mind. And again, I'm not just picking on you. I'm saying me, you, every one of us. This is the human experience. This is why Jesus did what he did. Not just so that you could be forgiven, but so that you could be changed, so that you could be transformed, so that you would no longer have to live this way because it hurts, doesn't it? It corrupts everything. It corrupts everything. These desires that we have, and again, again, we'll talk about this later, but the world says, go for it. Whatever you desire, you desire it. That must be your true self. That must be your inner self. Nobody can tell you what to do but you. Like, you go do you, man. You go live your life and just take hold of it. And that sounds like good news to us. And so we rush out and we do it. And it turns to poison in our hand. It turns to poison in our mouth. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. It's probably the most terrifying of these, these passages. Hebrews chapter 6. Now, Hebrews is specifically warning, warning Christians not to fall away. And, and I think that, that the audience to whom this, this writer is writing are Jewish Christians that, that are probably being tempted to, to go, back to, go back to temple worship, forget this Jesus, it's really hard. Like, we thought Jesus was the Messiah. We thought life was going to be great following Jesus. And all of our friends are still worshiping in the old ways. All of our family is still worshiping in the old ways. And maybe we should just go back to doing that. And maybe we should just forget this whole Jesus thing. Maybe we should just stop trying to be disciples of his and just go back to following the law of Moses and offering sacrifices. And maybe that's, that's the avenue that we should go. And the Hebrew writer writes to them, pleading with them, begging them, saying, Jesus is better. Don't, don't for a second think that you're going to find what you're looking for over there. And even though our temptation is different, we're probably not tempted to go and offer animal sacrifices to God in order to atone for our sins. That's not our temptation. But we still are tempted to go back to whatever it is that we were before, whatever it is that we had before. And the lie is that it'll feel good. The lie is that it'll be fulfilling. The lie is that we'll find what we're looking for over there. And the message of the Hebrew writer is just as relevant for us. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than any body or anything or any lifestyle or any other way. He is better both now and into eternity. And he says this terrifying thing in Hebrews 6. He says, verse 4, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. It's, it's, it's tough because it's part of such a negative statement, but that's one of the best descriptions of what it means to be a Christian right there. I love, I love those lines. You've been enlightened. You've tasted the heavenly gift. You've shared in the Holy Spirit. You've tasted the goodness of the word of God. And you have tasted the powers of the age to come. I love that, don't you? You have tasted the powers of the age to come. Think about that. 
When you were raised up out of that water of baptism, you, you began to experience the age to come right now in the midst of this age. You've gotten a taste of it. You've begun to experience just how awesome and how great and how wonderful God is and how much he loves you. And the Hebrew writer warns, those that have experienced this, that have tasted this, that have seen this, that have been there, and then, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. He says it's impossible since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now listen, what he's not saying, he doesn't say it's impossible for them to be saved. He doesn't say it's impossible for God to accept them. He says it's impossible to restore them to repentance. That, that it is possible to go so far down that road of rebellion to taste the goodness of God and then to rebel so hard in the other direction that it's impossible to get you to want God again, to want Jesus again. It's impossible for your heart to be changed again. It's not that God won't love you anymore. It's not that God wouldn't forgive you if you would come back. It's that you have gone so far in the other direction. Your heart has become so hard, you don't even want to come back. And that should scare us. That should scare us before we ever start down that road. To say, yeah, it may feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm just looking, I'm just looking, I'm not touching, I'm, I'm not going there, I'm not doing that, I'm just looking. It's just one sight, it's just one time, it's just one experience, one bad decision. We become more and more and more corrupt. Decision after decision after decision until that becomes our character and our destiny. And so he's saying, don't even start down that road. Don't start down that road of rebellion. Don't start down that road of falling away. Because at the far end of that road, at the far end of that road, there are people that it's impossible to, to change their hearts because their hearts have become so incredibly hard. So don't even start down that road. Verse 7, for land that has drunk the rain that ha often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who seek, who, for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God, right? When rain falls on land and it, and it grows and it produces fruit, then, then it receives a blessing. It's blessed land. But if rain falls on it often, but it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And it He's saying both the good land that bears fruit and the land that's just producing thorns and thistles, God is blessing them both. They've both experienced the blessings of God, but one has decided, I will not be fruitful. I'm not going to practice things of the Spirit. I'm going to practice things of the flesh. And it produces things of the flesh, the thorns and thistles. What, what should that land expect except to be burned, except to be destroyed? Corruption has become its character and its destiny. 
So don't start down that road. Be fruitful. Receive the blessings of God and bear good fruit. You get to decide, are you going to sow to the spirit or are you going to sow to the flesh? Are you going to produce good fruit? Are you going to be good soil? Or will you sow to the flesh and make one bad decision after another until you become so corrupt that you, you get to the point where it's impossible to soften your heart because it's become so calloused and so corrupt? Verse 9, we got to end on a positive note. Verse 9, though we speak in this way, <laughs> Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He says, but this isn't, this isn't you. This isn't you, because you're, you're still here. You're still working and you're still loving. This isn't you. He, he's warning them because it could be if they go in the wrong direction, but it's not you. Hold on. Persevere. Be patient. Sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Do not be deceived. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. It's our choice what choices we will make. But over time, over time, it becomes either easier to obey or easier to continue in rebellion, depending on the seeds that we are sowing. So let's remember that. Remember that every thought that we think, every word that we say, every deed that we do, when we sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit, we reap eternal life. And if we sow to the flesh, from the flesh we'll reap corruption. Let's pray. Father God, we are humbled before you. And Father, everyone here, I am confident, wants to be obedient, wants to do what is right and what is good. That's why we're here we want to live a life that's pleasing to you. But Father, I'm also sure that there are many of us who need to repent of practices and habits, of repeating things that are not good, of sowing to the flesh. And Father, we pray that you give us hearts to repent, that our hearts not be callous, that we are transformed, that we are renewed. Father, we pray that we submit to you and that we begin and continue to sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Father, thank you for Jesus, who has shown us a better way, who has given us forgiveness and opportunity to change and to be transformed. Father, we pray for forgiveness. We pray for grace and mercy. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.